0: Welcome into B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon.
1: And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma.
0: And Bonnie, for the first time... Oh, wait, never mind. The tropics are still active.
1: (laughs) So for the millionth time.
0: Yes, which is fine because we talked a lot over the spring and early summer that we were waiting for this to pop, and it did. But, Bonnie, we got a record setter in Lorenzo, and our friend is out there churning away, but he's not really doing much
1: no he's just making big waves um but yeah definitely record-breaking lorenzo but they won't retire his name right because he's not hitting anything
0: yeah most likely he'll come back um in seven years when the list resets um yeah he's a cat five winds are 145 miles an hour minimum central pressure is estimated At 938 millibars, there are no Air Force Reconnaissance or Hurricane Hunter flights planned on this bad boy at the moment uh, because he literally is just out in the middle of the Atlantic. He is affecting some shipping traffic, and that's about it. I need to clear my screen and clean it to make sure that's actually the Azores Islands that are in the cone and not just dust on my monitor. But, yes, the Azores (laughs) are are kind of in the the next path. But, um, yeah, this thing has been uh, pretty impressive, and, man... What a what a like I said. What a great looking storm.
1: Well, two two questions. One are the Azores? Do people live on the Azores? Yes, they and, do. Really? Yes. And two, how do they know the pressure and wind speed if there's no reconnaissance flights? Is it just buoys? You know, are there fun- buoys?
0: There are buoys out there, but you should uh, you ask and you shall receive. So according to the latest hurricane discussion, it says satellite and microwave imagery are indicating that Lorenzo is now weakening. A recent microwave pass showed a broken eye wall as well as dry air in the southwestern quadrant. Over the past hour, the eye has begun to fill in. However, outflow remains excellent and cloud tops remain very cold near the center of the hurricane. A blend of the latest CI values, From TAFB and SAB, as well as recent subjective intensity estimates from the University of Wisconsin, CIMSS, suggest the initial intensity is now at 125 knots. So based on pictures, that's what they're guessing the wind speed is. Um, In terms of pressure, I'm sure it's, it's a relative sliding scale. Well, if they can estimate that the wind speed is this, you know you would put the central pressure probably here but i'm sure there are some buoys and other stuff out there. Huh. So. Well,
1: very interesting. And that's Sims. C I M M S, that's yes. Sims. Yes.
0: Yes, the University of Wisconsin Sims. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how uh, that's how they're going with that. Huh. And um just reading through some of the other stuff, it says that it, it reaches peak intensity late last night. Intensity guidance is in good agreement. The hurricane will steadily weaken over the next several days due to increasingly southwestern dry shear, dry air entrainment, and progressively cooler sea surface temperatures. The NOAA hurricane hunters are still scheduled to investigate Lorenzo later today and the data they collect should provide a better assessment of the hurricane intensity structure. In a few days, Lorenzo will interact with the frontal zone and begin transitioning to an extra-tropical cyclone. This transition is expected to be completed in the 96 hours. Um, it's important to note, although Lorenzo is forecast to weaken through the forecast period, the wind field is expected to expand at the same time with tropical storm force and 50-knot winds forecast to extend over 300 nautical miles uh, and then 160 nautical miles for the hurricane force. Uh, in 72 hours. Lace intensity forecast is similar to the previous one, and it is near the HFIP Corrected Consensus, HCCA. I'm not sure what those acronyms are. Early input from Tropical Analysis and Forecast Branch here at NHC indicates the large wind field of Lorenzo, and is expected to fast or forward motion in a few days will likely lead to extreme enhancement of the wave field and wave growth over the southeastern portion of the circulation. So yes, key messages. Um, regardless of the exact track near the Azores, strong winds are becoming increasingly likely on those islands Tuesday and Wednesday. Residents there should monitor the progress of the hurricane. Watches could be issued for those islands later today or tonight. So yes, people do live on them.
1: So where is Lorenzo exactly? Like how far off of Africa? How far away from us? Like,
0: like... oh my gosh, let me look here. Let's um.
1: Just kind of, because I know it's still pretty far Eastern Atlantic, like it's way closer to Africa than us. Uh, but. It
0: looks like it's actually kind of, if I'm counting blocks, you know, like the grids for stuff, mm-hmm. um, it looks like it's pretty dead even. It's at 45, just out inside of 45 West. So it's moving closer toward the Africa side than the United States and just above 25 North. Um, so it's... One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, seven block grids from the U.S., six from the coast of Africa. So just a little bit closer to Africa than us. But uh, yeah, it's out in the middle of the Atlantic and not a whole lot's happening with
1: it. See, and this is where longitude and latitude come into play because right. it's the middle of the ocean and there's no like markers or like, hey, it's in the state of or the country of, blah, blah, blah. So, Correct. So thank curr- you, latitude and longitude. <laughs>
0: right. So the initiation of this forecast at 1500Z um, had the storm at 44.4 degrees west, 25.9 degrees north, uh, winds 145 miles an hour, and then um, eventually by the time we get to hour 96 where they said it will become a post-tropical or extra-tropical, this thing is at 50 degrees north, And 18.4 degrees west. So, yeah, it's going to get quickly entrained in that cold front and move. So,
1: Well, and so just for our listeners, and to refresh my memory, when and how does it become extra tropical?
0: Ooh, that's a really good question. I believe it becomes extra tropical once it loses its... Closed circulation, so once it opens up into a more of an, an actual elongated front versus the closed uh, oh. low pressure system. So that's and it's
1: where... extra tropical because it started out as tropical.
0: Correct, and it, has, it still okay. maintains that energy and the wind field. That's why I think there's still a lot of debate about Superstorm Sandy, if it mm-hmm. was really. Hold on one second here.
1: Because at one point I thought it was when it got a certain point north on the globe it was considered extra tropical but then dorian was never called that it was still hurricane or tropical storm dorian even though it was basically in greenland
0: <laughs> yeah that is true um i don't know i think it's when it does you know i can look it up here uh, oh
1: just a little vocab refresher yeah. you
0: know? no absolutely no i, I yeah absolutely extra tropical
1: and we have used extra Tropical multiple times on several episodes and, and it's out there in the world on Twitter and on NHC and SBC websites and stuff like that. And so I think it's, you know, it's a beneficial definition to have. No,
0: absolutely. Um, if you are not an AMS member, uh, which you need to be an AMS member, even as a student or as an associate member or as a full member, um, that's when, you know, they have a great glossary uh, and, A lot of good research terms and facts that you can go look up stuff like this. Um, So pulling it up, Weather Underground has a whole little page on this. So let's go through and we'll start breaking this down. It is often difficult to tell from looking at forecast model data whether a low that is expected to develop near the U.S. coast will be tropical, subtropical, or extratropical. Because we all need to be extratropical. Uh, the difference is important since tropical systems have the uh, potential to grow quickly into hurricanes, while extratropical or subtropical storms do not. So, here's a quick meteorology lesson on the normal progression one sees from an extratropical cyclone to subtropical to tropical. Extratropical cyclone forms. Extratropical cyclones have cold air at their core and derive their energy from the release of potential energy when cold and warm air masses interact. These storms have always been one or more fronts connected to them and can occur over land or ocean. An extratropical cyclone can have winds as weak as tropical depression strength or strong as a hurricane. Examples of this include blizzards and nor'easters, the ordinary low-pressure systems that give the con- uh, continents at mid-latitudes their precipitation. Um... Let's see here. If waters under the extratropical cyclone are at least 70 degrees, thunderstorm activity will gradually build inside the storm and moisten the warm lower levels. Over time, the core of the storm may gradually go from cold to warm, and the storm will start getting some of its energy from latent heat, which is the energy released when water vapor that has evaporated from the warm ocean condenses into liquid water. Latent heat is what powers tropical cyclones. So, yeah, it's I believe it's either getting cold air into it, and then it loses its central. So it
1: so could start anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be tropical to begin with. Correct. So it just has like...
0: Characteristics of it. Okay. That still doesn't make sense. I need to do some more digging on that. Do, 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 do. Extra. Let's see here. According to Wikipedia, extratropical cyclones are low pressure areas which along with anti-cyclones uh drive the weather much of the earth. Extra cyclones are capable of producing anything from cloudiness to mild showers to heavy gales, thunderstorms, blizzards, and tornadoes. These types of cyclones are defined as large scale synoptic low pressure systems that occur in the middle latitudes of Earth in contrast with tropical cyclones. Extratropical can produce rapid changes in temperature and dew points. So extratropical cyclones are classified mainly as baroclinic. Because they form along lines of temperature and dew point gradient known as frontal zones. So Mm -hmm. they become barotropic late in their life cycle when the distribution of heat around the cyclone uh, becomes fairly uniform with its radius. So so basically where they start to like rope out.
1: Mm, Okay, that makes sense. Hmm.
0: So yeah, it says the tropical cyclones often transform into extratropical cyclones at the end of the tropical existence, usually between 30 degrees and 40 degrees latitude, where there's sufficient forcing from the upper-level troughs or short ways. Ro- 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 wi- can't talk. Riding the westerlies for the process of extratropical transition to begin. During this process, a cyclone in extratropical transition um, will vary in form or connect with nearby fronts or troughs consistent with a baroclinic system, or baroclinic it's clinic. Uh, due to this, the size of the storm system will usually appear to increase while the core weakens. However, after the transition complete, the storm may restrengthen due to energy depending on the environmental conditions surrounding the system. The cyclone will distort in shape, becoming less symmetrical in time. So basically roping out. And it's tilting back into colder air mass. So you're losing the energy of the warm and transitioning back into cold. Very
1: interesting Very. and weird.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So it makes the transition from warm water energy to cold air energy, basically. We're now looking at the difference between, you know, warm air that's ingrained in the system interacting with colder air as you get higher up Uh, In latitude. So, that's pretty cool. So, there you go. I know. There's your your lesson for the day. Boom. In a nutshell. Yeah. So, that would explain why uh, it looks like it's going to weaken from a hurricane into a tropical storm by the time it gets toward Ireland. Which is interesting. So, I mean, even they say between 40 and 45 degrees north. I mean, that could explain why Sandy was maybe a superstorm. I still think Sandy was a hurricane when it came ashore, but that's just me.
1: Well, and I think it's still referred to as a hurricane, whether it was officially classified as one or not. I hear Hurricane Sandy a lot.
0: Yeah, I do too. So, I don't know. um, But, you know, so we have Lorenzo out there. Shipping lanes affected, obviously. Uh, Lorenzo is going to affect possibly the Azores here coming up in the next couple of days. Um, but, Bonnie, that's it. That's actually... Kind of kind of scary, because <laughs> we've had so many systems, but yet he's it.
1: think it's over, you think there might be another pop?
0: Oh, I'm sure there'll be another pop, but um currently, there are no areas of investigation or areas that they're looking at, um, so we'll see. I mean, I know that there was some dry air again coming off of Africa um <clears throat> and then we talk a little bit about the Eastern Pacific. And we have one tropical storm. It's Narda, which is a terrible name for a storm.
1: Yeah, I don't like it.
0: Yeah, I don't either. It's not like Karen. It's not basic. It's just different, and I'm I'm not a fan. Um. So Narda is out there in the. Um, it's actually over land right now, which is interesting. It's a, it's, a, again, it's a depression now. Will become a, It's remain a depression as it moves out over the Gulf of Baja. Will strengthen into a tropical storm, and then. Uh, we'll move into the Gulf of Baja between the Baja Peninsula and Mexico. We'll remain a tropical storm uh, forecast, say, through Wednesday. And then by the time we get to Thursday morning, it's weekend as it comes back ashore as a depression. So that's kind of it there. There's nothing in the eastern Pacific uh, to affect Hawaii. And so right now we are down to two storms, uh, Narda in the Pacific and then Lorenzo in the Atlantic.
1: Hey, at least both oceans are kind of keeping up with their letters like we're just a couple storms behind the pacific so it's been pretty even
0: right no we are and that's good um let's see here when we look at i'm gonna go look at the outlooks yeah there's nothing there so the only thing we have like we said is lorenzo so um no i don't think we're done yet i think we still have a lot a lot of time left we still have a lot of hurricane season to go we got the entire month of october and november so Let's see what happens.
1: Yeah. Still 2 months to go, but right. here we are, about to be October. Isn't right. that ridiculous? It
0: is. I mean, this year has flown by.
1: Really flown by.
0: But we talk about, you know, hurricane season, you know, kind of is the transition between summer and fall. Mm-hmm. But Bonnie across the con- the continental United States, uh some areas have made that change from summer to winter real quick.
1: I know, really quick. They just they just skipped a step, a very big step. They just were like, Nope, we're gonna go right to winter.
0: How would you like to wake up on a Monday morning and see a forecast calling for three feet of snow by the time you get to Thursday or Friday?
1: Um I'd be cool with it if that meant I didn't have to go to work.
0: Right. But guess what? It didn't happen to you. It happened in Montana.
1: Oh, they're so lucky.
0: They is. Um they they is. Wow. Hi. <laughs> I'm Bobby i I, I, spy, I speak them proper english i was publicly I edumaca- is Bobby, yeah. and i is good i i was publicly educated living you proof that, well yeah yeah living proof that your tax dollars really do work
1: <laughs>
0: good Lord. we'll
1: get you a grammar book i'll send it to please, you
0: please that would be fantastic um <laughs> so yeah <laughs> we um had an upper level cold trough that Moved into the United States. Uh, Came across from Canada. Again, Canada just sending us nothing but cold air. You know? So, Canada, we don't like you for that. Um, But, you know, forecasts started to make some noise when you started hearing words like three feet and four feet Mm -hmm. and five feet of snow in September. (laughs) Which is unbelievable to me. Um, Yeah. The state of Montana was... Forecast to receive snow, like we said, some areas like Saint Mary's and Mariana's Pass thirty six to fifty inches. The wow. awesome town of Cutbank uh, Montana, two feet to two and a half feet. Jeez. Great Falls, eight inches to a foot. Sulfur Springs, four to six inches. Um Whitefish thirty inches to thirty-six inches. And, Bonnie, it was one of those things where, like, oh, okay, it's a forecast. They get snow in Montana. We're used to this. No, they got snow in Montana. The forecast nailed it. It verified. But it was in September. Yeah. That's how cold That's how cold this air was that moved out of Canada. It was, I'm not going to say an Arctic blast, but it was pretty close. And temperatures we had talked about on the show where you want that temperature range to kind of be closer to, like, the mid to upper 20s. Mm-hmm. for that big heavy snow and that's exactly what happened here
1: well if they're already like, getting a pretty decent almost arctic blast in september then what does that mean for winter for the west for the rest of us right you know what well I, mean? I would
0: i would hopefully it bodes well for those of us that like snow and those of us that yeah. enjoy that stuff but um you know it's funny that that came in from the north they got the snow um, out here in Oregon, we were under the influence where we were having temperatures up in the 70s, and then they crashed back down. And, like, today, we won't get out of the lower 50s. Wow. Um, and we'll get into the other forecast. But, Bonnie, cold air came in, and then another wave, of that cold air came in across the continental United States into the high plains. And we had an actually really uh, – I don't know if we want to classify it as a severe outbreak this week, but we had a lot of storms blow through. Um, especially on the 24th, which was Tuesday. But even going back into Monday, we had a tornado down near Arizona. And then, like I said, Tuesday came, and we had a bunch of tornadoes. We had ones in Texas. We had tornadoes in Iowa, Kansas, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. We had um, tornadoes cause some injuries. It was an EF3 uh, near the town of Elk Mound. In Wisconsin, which is a great name for a town, uh-huh. um, uh, several EF zeros. Um, the big storm to come out. Of this, like I said, was the EF two in Elk Mound. Um, a couple injuries, destroyed structures uh, near Wisconsin Highway twenty nine, and pine. Uh, several pine trees were leveled. Um, it was a. Uh, it was pretty impressive. The video from that was was interesting, but um, the best tornado video I saw this week was coming out of Arizona. And just north of Phoenix,
1: was that the one with like the firefighters in it? It was like a red tornado.
0: Um, yes, it was.
1: It looked red, like it. Ha- it was like it looked like a lot of dirt. Yeah, it? there
0: was a lot of dirt, so dusty debris. Um, and this was the one that was the torn the thunderstorm was really high base, so you had that really elongated funnel and elongated, yeah. um, you know, condensation cloud, which looked really cool. So that was. You know, the interesting part with that, but, you know, Maricopa County where Phoenix is, uh, they don't get a lot of these. And that first tornado issue they issued on Monday was the first one that the Phoenix office had issued in five years. Wow. So talk about having to dust off the binder and be like, um, just want to make sure we're doing this correctly
1: right they're like what's the definition of a tornado again let's flip through to the glossary
0: right exactly let's pull out our handy dandy spotter guide (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, rotating thunderstorm. Oh yeah, no, we're not. We are not making fun of the the folks at the National Weather Service in Phoenix. They're great forecasters, and they deal with severe thunderstorms and flash flooding, all this stuff. They know what they're doing. We're just we're picking fun at the fact that they hadn't had to issue one in five years. Most offices exactly. have a much shorter span than five years, but uh, they got to do it twice this week. So
1: right, like here, our span is like five minutes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I retweeted out on the B squared uh, Twitter page at weather podcast. Um, we had an interesting day here yesterday where we had a severe, uh, it was never technically classified as severe. Um, we had a public outlook issued or an advisory issued on it. Um, we had a line of thunderstorms that came off of the Cascades up in Washington and came down off of Mount St. Helens over Southwest Washington into Portland and then blew through my neighborhood on the West side of town. Um, Lots of thunder, lots of lightning, half-inch hail, even some reports of one-inch hail, which is pretty, uh, pretty, you know, not typical for this time of, uh, of year. That would have, if it verified and they'd seen it on radar, probably would have popped a severe thunderstorm warning for one-inch hail. But, Bonnie, there was rotation on it. You can see this video on our mm-hmm. Twitter page, but... I talked with the National Weather Service meteorologist who was on the desk, a friend of mine, and he posted on Facebook. He's like, I've had to make these like calls five times in the last three weeks. Can we please stop having spinny
1: things? (laughs) These whirly swirls have got to stop.
0: Right. Um, So the first tornado warning that he issued was the actual storm that I called in. Um, It would have been now three weeks ago, uh, just north of the city of Hillsborough was actually working at the baseball game and one of my tv guys was like hey i think we have a tornado on the ground i'm like nah no way walk outside and sure enough i'm like that's eh, a rotating thunderstorm um there's nothing below it but there is some lowering with it so i called in the first time and like hey here's my spotter number blah 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 and they're like where are you again i was like well i'm not at home because <laughs> the one the lady on the desk that answered was like well we don't see anything in the radar in your neighborhood i'm like i'm not at home again i'm not there. I'm in Hillsborough. Oh, okay. I'm like, there's a rotating thunderstorm. There is a low rain. I don't see anything on the ground, but I will watch it and call you back. And sure enough, three minutes later, condensate. Thank you. Shout out to our boy David Payne. Um, coming off the trees and sure enough, there's the funnel tornado on the ground. Oh, so I got to see a tornado. I got to call it in. So that thing I can cross off my bucket list. But We had that and then, you know, some other close calls where we get these little areas of spin up. And like we've talked about on the show, you guys with all your high base thunderstorms, it's all warm air. It's, you know, the mixing of, you know, wind shear here. It's just the the temperature differential where it's really cold up in the atmosphere, warm at the surface that gets the air going. And, you know, we have these storms that can pop up and spin away and we refer to them lovingly as cold core funnels yeah. but they're tornadoes and like i said three weeks ago i got to see one and called in and yesterday's there was definitely rotation there there was no lowering but there was rotation so um sean weagle the forecaster was like i was running between my desk looking at the radar and staring outside this cell moved right over the national weather service portland office uh, wow. and it was impressive
1: I'm kind of impressed you all get things to spin up that quickly. I mean, we have quick spin ups, too. But like you said, we have several ingredients that need to come together just right. And they need to come together perfectly to get anything real significant, you know, EF3 and above type of thing.
0: Yeah. And ours are, like I said, usually EF0, EF1 at the max. Um, We did have an F3 tornado in the 70s. Uh, which is still kind of considered our gold standard for storms here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, went through a theater, blew it apart. Uh, there were wow. several deaths uh, associated with it. Um, but we generally don't get these really strong thunderstorms. And like I said, if a storm comes off the Cascades, usually it weakens pretty quick. But this thing really enhanced as it hit the Columbia River into the east side of Portland. Um National Weather Service did send out a survey team, said there was significant damage from straight line winds, which would make sense with this. Um, Really windy. There's a bunch of videos floating around Twitter this morning of like security cams where people's trees were either hit by lightning or just had a really strong wind gust that broke a bunch of large branches and sent them tumbling to the ground. But just not really sure on that. But yeah, you know, straight line winds, 55 to 60 miles an hour will do significant damage like we've talked about
1: especially mixed with three-quarter of an inch to one-inch hail.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, frequent cloud to ground lightning. So a lot of stuff was going on. It was funny. Like I said, I was talking with um, Sean last night after I got off work around 2 a.m., and he was still up He goes, it was funny. We were dealing with this thunderstorm moving over Portland. At the same time, we were having to watch uh, and be in constant communication with Oregon State University. They had a football game yesterday. Stanford was in town for the Pac-12 opener. Uh, for their portion of the season and I was happened to be driving home um, from a memorial service for an extended family member oh. and listening to the game and all of a sudden you know I know the guys that work Oregon State I ran that network for several years and you can just tell you know sometimes people stop and you're like Something must be going on. That doesn't make sense. Why did they just stop mid-sentence? And sure enough, they're like, oh, we're having to clear the field. Everybody needs to get off the field because there's a lightning strike within eight miles. And I'm like, oh, man. And so, like, I knew I had my thunderstorm that I was watching up to the northwest or northeast of where I was. I didn't realize there were thunderstorms down the valley. I hadn't looked at the radar. You know, I'd been other places that day. And so talking with Sean last night, he's like, oh, yeah, dude, there was constantly like cloud to cloud lightning. We were getting the detector was going off. And so they delayed the game about 35, 40 minutes uh, and then eventually they resume play. But it was one of those things where it's like yeah, the National Weather Service a little bit busy here yesterday.
1: Sounds like it. Geez, we, we were kind of the same yesterday. We had some severe thunderstorms pop up in the far west part of the state. And there was one that had some rotation on it. Mostly it was a hail-wind sort of a thing. Um, we also had some up to the north of the city, and I think the OSU game uh, actually got delayed a little while for lightning okay. as well. So,
0: Well, I was listening to, on the way to the moral service, I was listening to the end of the Oklahoma game. Uh, shout out to Toby Rowland, the voice of the Sooners. Love listening to him call a football game. That guy is just absolutely fantastic. Um but there's another like, yeah, you know, we y'all are really lucky we dodge a lot of the lightning and, you know, thunderstorms. So like I said, I knew that you guys were in, you know, an area of thunderstorms yesterday, but um, yeah, occasionally you guys have to uh delay games and we actually had to have that happen to us yesterday.
1: Especially in the beginning of the season when it's our second oh, yeah. severe yeah. weather season. We do have Uh, games delayed multiple times for severe weather and some some seasons it's worse than others a couple years ago um, I was tailgating outside of the OU Ohio State game and we had a serious squall line come through I mean just I mean rain lightning they had to shut the game down for a couple hours and then finally it resumed but man it was intense
0: right so I you know I haven't been to a game at Memorial Stadium, I've driven by it, I've been on the campus at OU, but where do you guys go?
1: Uh, I mean, inside, like, there's a lot of, like, indoor space, like, underneath the stands, you know, like where concession stands are and stuff, so, um, but we were outside the stadium, everyone had tents up, people are playing flip cup and cornhole and all of that, and so, (laughs) there are people that are sitting on the ground holding their tents down, you know, and... (laughs) It was it was great.
0: Yeah, it is just not worth it. Put the tent down, lay it on its side, and go find shelter.
1: Right, like get in your car or whatever and wait it out. Yeah, That's it's just everything.
0: it's it's not worth it.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. You're right, 100%.
0: Yeah, a, t- a tent is replaceable. You are not.
1: Exactly, exactly. And the best part was I remember this vividly because I was watching it on radar, and you could see the gust front out ahead of this storm really, really clearly. Oh. And I showed my friend. I was like, you see this little line right here? I was like, this is it's called the gust front. It will hit before the storm hits. And 15 minutes later, huge gust of cold, cold air just came through. And then 10 minutes after that, we got all the rain and wind and lightning and hail and all of that.
0: So oh, that is so much fun.
1: Right. I'm saying. I was like, called it. <laughs> right.
0: This is why it pays to have friends that like weather.
1: I'm saying real like I'm the resident meteorologist with whatever I'm doing like at work oh same here friends that's that's me and I'm good with it
0: yeah I'm too I'm too it's a passion which we love having it and that's why you know Bonnie and I put together B squared every week because we really do love weather
1: yeah probably we probably need to like see a counselor about the amount of love we have for the weather but it's fine
0: (laughs) (laughs) therapy based weather but speaking of that and I and we won't get into it today but did you see the several stories that came out this week about people that have climate-based anxiety and weather-based anxiety? Yes. Yeah. I would love to talk to somebody about that because I don't have it. I mean, I understand there are some things that, you know, you get nervous about. Okay. You see a watch box. You see a severe thunderstorm. But we're crazy enough that we're like, ooh, let's go stand outside.
1: Well, and I think it comes from not understanding. Sure. And I also think it comes from being in a traumatic event but I really think the main thing is not understanding and it's like just because a watch box is issued it's a watch box for the whole state or half the state or a large chunk of the state so the chances of your house being the one that's hit is pretty low but if you understand what's going on and you have your preparations then there's really nothing to be freaking out about like there's people in the spring who lose sleep oh I bet With like outlooks that are put out, you know, three or four days in advance, they will lose sleep leading up to the day of the quote event, you know, and I I seriously don't understand it. And to me, not to sound insensitive, but to me, it seems a little dramatic, like, especially if you have three or four days, you know, leeway, like, why aren't you making your preparations or, you know, make preparations to leave, like go out of town for the weekend or whatever, you know, like, I'm, don't I, live in fear. Yeah,
0: and we are we're, we're definitely not making fun of this because we understand it is a no. real condition. But I'm yeah. surprised more people don't have than like a permanent underground shelter.
1: Right. Like if it, it worries you that much, and I know some people who do and it still scares them. And I'm like, well, then there's nothing you can do. Right. Like if you have the shelter and that's still not enough, then... I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you because that's that's your solution right there is the shelter. Like the tornado is not going to rip you out of your underground shelter.
0: Right. Do the shelters get flooded sometimes?
1: Yes. Okay. That has been a thing. Not a lot, but it has been a thing.
0: Where people can possibly get trapped in there because it's flooding plus tornadoes. Right. Gotcha. Okay.
1: And I have heard of some shelters that are like outdoor, like in your backyard, that because of the flooding and the wet ground. And this is due to like multiple rain events throughout the season and then one big event. So the ground's already moist and loose and everything. And there have been some shelters that have floated up out of the ground.
0: That's incredible. Because, you know,
1: they're like a big, they're already made. They're just like a big cement room that they like. Barry, and so like that's a little intense, but I mean, a lot of people put it in their garage, so it's in the cement, it's in the foundation, right. it's indoors, basically, and it's registered.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that good. At least you have a shelter, so at least the first point, you know, is covered. And again, the likelihood of you having a significant flash flood on top of a tornado warning is pretty minimal.
1: Right. Right. Like and it moves quickly. So it might be heavy rain, but it's not like it's heavy rain for four hours. It's right. heavy rain for five minutes and then the storm is moving on.
0: Right. And generally so. the yeah, and generally the way the weather works is you're not gonna get a, you know, prolonged period of a tornado warning on top of a flash flood where you can obviously have a flash flood that's gonna last significant amounts of time. We see that all the time. However, you're not gonna get a tornado warning that's a long duration event with it.
1: Right. Like you'll be getting out of your shelter. Yes. Before it's been raining for like three or four hours. Exactly. So, oh, yes. that's
0: Okay. That, that's something that just kind of popped into my mind. I was like, I wonder if that. I'm sure it does because people, obviously, you want to be underground with a tornado. Safest place to be. So.
1: Well, and most of the shelters, though, are kind of built, if they're in ground in like your yard, mm-hmm. they're kind of built up like a little mound, a little hill for that reason. So, it's not like it's a dip gotcha. in the ground. So, to help, you know, keep the rain from just flowing in it just flows down around the outside if that makes sense i'll have to take a picture of the shelter across the road from me actually it's like that it's like a little hill and okay. there's a door like in the side of the hill like so it's like a diagonal slope up door
0: oh gotcha and then so I'll, I'll
1: take a picture and send it to you
0: yeah please do please do and then we'll put it out on the weather podcast twitter page so people can see it um and i know that you have your shelter obviously bolted to the cement your garage which is great <laughs> so you're prepared um Speed and being prepared, though, and, you know, people looking at forecasts, what do you guys have coming up this week uh, in Oklahoma? Uh,
1: you know, it's, it's most of the same. Um, we're, we're hanging out right now in the mid to upper 80s. It's humid, not as humid as it's been over the past couple months, but still the humidity hanging around. And then we just have our uh, rain chances popping up off and on. Um, I think Thursday we have a pretty fun cold front coming through that will bring our highs down to the low 70s with some good rain chances. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. Uh, but that's that's where we're at right now.
0: Well, you're going to laugh at us when I tell you what our forecast is up here in Portland. So today we have showers likely as we uh, kind of transition out of this cold pool. But tonight, skies are going to clear. We have a frost advisory in effect from midnight to 7 a.m. So, wow, there are areas above a thousand feet that are under a hard freeze warning.
1: The well, t- that happens on a clear night. That's when you want. That's when you get the frost. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, the low tonight will be thirty five in the city in the heat island effect will be thirty five degrees and the outlying areas will probably dip down into the upper 20s tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Areas of fog and sun, highs are going to be 58, 63, 64, respectively. Lows again tomorrow, 35, then 43. Wednesday, we transition back into the more typical fall weather, showers on and off. Highs in the lower 60s lows come up thankfully into the mid 40s but uh yeah not a whole lot happening finally we're going to dry it out a little bit it's been kind of stormy and kind of gloomy but hey let's get a little bit more late season sunshine i'm excited so that's what we got going on up here uh, but yeah we have a frost advisor. it's going to be cold can't wait
1: that is just crazy like it is still september that is crazy yeah
0: to have a freeze warning this early is uh has been pretty intense um we are looking at last night, uh, and yesterday was the first time that we received measurable snowfall at a place called Government Camp. It's up on Mount Hood. Um, I want to say Government Camp is like 2,000 feet in elevation. Let me look. Uh, but it was the earliest recorded time of snowfall. Um, at government camp and that's not where I wanted to look. That's the national that's my hood. Where's government camp? There's sand there's government camp. Um and so it was really uh it was really cool to just kind of watch and be like, Hey, check this out. And the National Weather Service yesterday was debating with that thunderstorm that came through that a lot of people like, listen, there's hail here, but there's also a lot of grapple which is, yeah. you know, the super cool water droplets that attach onto snowflakes and they, you know, they burst in contact with the ground. Well, they're debating that if it actually should be considered as snowfall. Wow. Because it entrenched so much cold air when it came down and, you know, they were saying, listen, there could have been some wet snowflakes that mixed in. Obviously, we got the accumulation with the hail, plenty of video, plenty of proof, Maybe one one an inch to you know anywhere from half an inch to an inch and a half of accumulated hail, but if it was grappled, do we consider that snow? And if snow, if it is snow, then we're now looking at the earliest recorded snowfall in the winter season in Portland. Wow, being in September,
1: that is crazy. What a fun debate.
0: <laughs> oh no, totally. it totally was it was it was comedy, and I'm sitting there, you know, going back. Let me pull up the the AFD on it because it was. Impressive to read. I'm just saying. I'm just like, man. Um, that's the previous version. Let's see here. Let's do this. Does this it? Uh, no, I'm having to go back. Try and find where this was. Um, that's still this morning. That's 3.15 this morning. Come on, computer. Work with me. Okay, so yeah. So here it was. So this was the AFD from last night at 9.55 came out. Tonight through Tuesday, quite the active afternoon around the Portland-Vancouver metro area, especially eastern portions. A strong thunderstorm developed over the South Washington Cascade foothills then drifted southwest across the lowlands bringing plenty of lightning, hail, and localized strong winds to portions of Vancouver and Portland around 4 p.m. Hardested areas uh, appear to be between an area I-84 between Southwest 50th and 80th Avenues in Northeast Portland where some tree damage occurred. An NWS survey team was sent to that area as rotation was observed aloft by Many members of the public and even our forecasters as the cell moved over the office here in Park Rose. The storm survey team found the straight-line gusts in the order of 45 to 55 did damage, and there was no evidence of tornadic circulation reaching the ground. This cell also brought copious amounts of hail with some portions of the metro area. This also affected the forecast office with some hail grapple balls that approached one inch in diameter. The temperature here at the office dropped to forty three degrees during the peak of the storm and there were reports of temperatures dipping into the upper thirties in nearwood, Maywood Park and across the river in east vancouver. During this time the hail got softer, implying more that it was a result of the accretion of supercooled droplets or ice crystals to the smaller hail core initiated by strong updrafts within the storm. A grapple occurs when this happens on top of or around a snowflake, but this occurred on top of around hail. So there's been some debate in the office regarding whether or not this should be snow, which would be a big deal considering the earliest trace of snow measured at PDX since 1940 is November 3rd, over a month from today's date of September 28th. At this point, we are leaning against counting the precipitation as snow since the initial core was hail, but it's not out of the question that a few wet snowflakes made it all the way to the surface.
1: Wow, that is crazy.
0: Right? So, like you said, talk about a fun debate. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, so, it's just like, man.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. And, you know, we don't get growling a lot around here in the winter. It's right. either ice or snow or cold rain, but I mean we've gotten it a few times and it's really cool. It's a very interesting looking piece of precipitation and it's been small. It's never been near the size of like one inch hail. Right. But it it's it's interesting. It looks weird. It looks like a little a spiky ice ball.
0: No, it totally does. And I mean I mean I'm I can only count the number of times I've seen it in person. Uh maybe less than ten. But one of my favorite ones was, again, kind of set up like yesterday where it's really cold in the upper atmosphere. I mean, like, say, 2,000 feet and above, temperatures are at or below freezing, you know, pretty close to the surface and really warm down below. And you get a thunderstorm that moves over and it just drops these things and these things explode on contact. They literally look like snowflakes that are just clumped together that explode on contact. And it's just it's a really weird texture, but just Mm -hmm. it's really cool to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like when you get like a snow cone. Yes. But and you like you get a little piece and you like push it all together and like it's like you know what I mean like you make it a really hard little ball. It's like that like it's still soft. Yep. But it's a little bit of a hard. It's like that. And so and it's weird. It's just so weird to see it and we don't see it around here very often. Like you said I could probably count the amount of times I've seen it. Probably less than 5. Honestly. So of course, you know, we're different around here with our climate and everything. And so,
0: yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We get more, obviously more dominated with the cold air just because we're in a valley. We have the warm ocean and then, you know, we interact with the continental air mass. You guys get the continental air mass and the, you know, moisture from the Gulf. Um, By the way, just looking through this forecast discussion here. (laughs) So normally you have like one or two forecasters, write This thing out. Uh According to this one, there were three (laughs) forecasters that wrote the initial discussion. A fourth forecaster that did the long term, a fifth forecaster that did the aviation approach, and then a sixth forecaster, which did the marine forecast. Wow. So the
1: they people. really brought out everybody yeah. on this one.
0: Yeah, they were really busy at the NWS office in Portland yesterday. <laughs> but good on those guys. And, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Listen, we, you know, I, and I'm sure this happens to every National Weather Service office but it's really cool when an actual event comes right overhead and you can actually go out and verify it.
1: Right. Exactly. And then you can run in and like post it or whatever. You know, it's it's nice. It's nice. It's like, okay, there's no debating it because it happened in our backyard. We saw it with our eyes.
0: Right, exactly. You know, we appreciate our spotters and they do great work for us and emergency managers and members of the media. But hey, when we can send a storm survey team to our backyard, Makes it a little bit more fun. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. It. So, I still want to do that one day. I want to go out with an NWS survey team and just kind of see how they do their thing because I think that would be really fascinating.
1: I want to also. I would like to actually be a surveyor. So I think that would be really awesome.
0: Yeah. We got to make that happen.
1: Okay. Well, let's get on it.
0: Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Bizzle, another fantastic edition of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in very cold Oregon.
1: And I'm Bonnie in boring old Oklahoma right now. It's not
0: that boring. Come on.
1: A little bit. I mean, a little bit.
0: (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Look forward to talking to you next week. Tropics are going to remain active. Hopefully we get some more interesting weather. But uh, yeah, another good show.
1: We will see you all next week.